The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. July 13 edition of PFTPM. We're only 11 days away from the return of PFT Live. I'm just a couple of days away from my return to West Virginia after a week here in Hilton Head. But so far, four for four for the PFTPM podcast. Every morning when I wake up and I feel the after effects from the night before, I think this is the day I don't make it. Tomorrow may be the day I don't make it. We'll see. But today I did. And yesterday, I go for a bike ride every day. I saw an alligator that was so big, I freaked out. And I wanted to take a photo of it or get a video of it. It was massive. And I did the math. Like, if it was determined to get to the edge of the lagoon and get me, I had no chance. So I kind of want to go looking for it again today. And I kind of don't. So being eaten by an alligator would definitely keep me from doing the podcast tomorrow. That is one of the many reasons why I will try my best to avoid becoming an alligator's mid-afternoon snack. Okay, so we're one week away from the special meeting at which the sale of the commanders will be approved. Josh Harris will take over for Daniel Snyder. Unless, of course, it all goes sideways. And silly me, in response to a recent question on this very program, I downplayed the idea of Daniel Snyder having one last gasp, one last way to just screw everything up. I said something like, well, the documents are all signed now. It's just a matter of approving the deal and Josh Harris having the right finances in place, yada, yada, yada. I had forgotten about this issue of indemnification. And I remember back in law school, the first time I heard the word indemnification, I just kind of glossed over and stopped paying attention. It's a basic idea, though, when you're talking about a a situation like this where Dan Snyder is leaving. He wants to leave it all behind him. He doesn't want to be responsible for any liabilities that may arise in the future. And when the indemnification issue first came up, it was almost as if Snyder wanted to be indemnified for claims that could be made against the commander's for workplace misconduct that happened on his watch. And look, through all of the stuff that we've seen in the past few years, there hasn't been a rash of lawsuits filed. Maybe cases were settled before litigation actually made its way into the court system. But we're more than two years removed from the initial punishment that was imposed on Daniel Snyder. Statute of limitations for situations like this is usually two years. I'd like to think that any potential liability arising from misconduct happening within the commander's organization is already known, maybe resolved, but it at least can be accounted for. There's not going to be anything new, but there is one major piece of litigation, and I should have made the connection yesterday. I was so caught up in what these new Gruden emails details from the ESPN article might mean, I overlooked the very important issue of how the NFL and Daniel Snyder will handle 
the potential for liability arising from the actions of one or the other. And Snyder presumably wants indemnification for anything that could stick to him in this Gruden emails case. The league may want indemnification for Dan Snyder for anything that could stick to them caused by him. That's what this is all about. I don't want to have to pay. Even if I did it, I want you to be responsible. Both sides, I think, want to try to foist liability onto the other, even if maybe they did something that is part of this broader stew of potential, potential settlement, verdict, et cetera. And my working theory would would put both sides at risk here. My working theory based upon the ESPN article came into focus after I saw that and have followed this story all along. Dan Snyder offers up the Gruden emails as some sort of clumsy gesture to the league to try to get back in Roger Goodell's good graces, gives him a chance to take out a longtime agitator. And then Goodell weaponizes the emails to get Mark Davis to fire John Gruden. So it's possible that both sides have civil liability to John Gruden by the time it's all said and done. What they're trying to wrap up by next Thursday is who's going to pay the bill for anything coming out of the Gruden case. And I saw a response on Twitter to our item from today about the possibility that this whole thing could blow up because of the issue of indemnification. It really would be smart to just settle the damn case with John Gruden before next Thursday. The problem is Gruden's got the tiger by the tail and it would take a hell of a lot at this point to get Gruden to release it. And I hope he doesn't. My own personal curiosity is such that I would want to see how far this rabbit hole goes, where and how the emails were leaked. And if Gruden accepts a settlement, we're never going to find out. But that's why he's so much leverage. If people are nervous about proof ultimately coming to light through the discovery process in John Gruden's lawsuit as to who leaked the emails, and you've got Dan Snyder testified under oath to Congress that he didn't, and you've got the league very stridently saying they didn't. And I've been watching, and this is not exactly the morning beach viewing that I thought I'd be doing while working. I thought I'd maybe be catching up on the news or maybe watching the quarterback series on Netflix. I've been re-watching Roger Goodell's congressional testimony from June of 2022 just to make sure that he wasn't asked about the Gruden emails and whether or not the league leaked them. I'm 99.9% sure he wasn't. And as I rewatch this thing, it really is a, distress, a depressing display of how our representative government works, where it's just a bunch of yelling and screaming and pissing and moaning. And they, they, they blew opportunities to really make progress to get to the bottom of a lot of things, including who leaked the Gruden emails. So Roger Goodell's never testified under oath that the league office didn't do it. But Snyder has testified under oath that he didn't do it. And Bruce Allen, the former Washington commander's president, has testified under oath that the league told him it didn't come from them, didn't come from 345 Park Avenue, it came from the team. Bottom line is this. Gruden has an ideal opportunity right now to try to get a significant settlement, a very significant settlement. And, and as I said yesterday, no matter how badly he wants to see this through to the end, there's an offer that can be made to 
John Gruden that he will not refuse. You keep adding more money, more money, more money, and the end result is eventually John Gruden has got to say yes. Now, is the league willing to do it? Is Snyder willing to do it? But that's the one way to resolve this issue before next week when the sale goes through. Maybe they'll go to Josh Harris and say, hey, that's $6.05 billion. You need to pay another $100 million. You need to come up with another $100 million. Call Magic Johnson. Call your other partners. Come up with $100 million because we're going to offer that to John Gruden to make this thing go away that could cause this whole deal to fall apart. If you really want this team, you got to finance the settlement of the John Gruden litigation. And I say that kind of jokingly, but... Yeah, man. Look, it's entirely possible Dan Snyder is just digging in because he knows they are so desperate to get rid of him that he he can squeeze some concessions out of the league at the last minute. I think it'd be dumb not to do that. And if you are a shrewd business person, you see this opportunity. Now, I'm not saying it's right. You want to be a good partner. You want to have good memories, good relationships. You never know when the the chain of events is going to cause people to maybe need you know, to help each other out in the future. You want to have a good relationship with everyone when the business partnership is over, ideally. But if he wants to just be a jerk, yeah, he can hold their feet to the fire. I want this. I want that. I want that. Hey, you want to get rid of me? I want this. I want this. I want this. If you want to get rid of me, you give me those things. Otherwise, I'm not going. Wouldn't that be something? I'm sorry, Commanders fans, to possibly dampen your mood on an otherwise nice Thursday afternoon. But until this deal's done, and remember from the get-go, when the Snyders initially issued the statement in November of 2022, suggesting they were exploring selling the team, the, the thinking was it's not done until it's done. And with Dan Snyder, nothing is ever done until it's done. And this indemnification issue could potentially be the thing that blows it all up. And the more the league wants it to not be the thing that blows it all up, the more leverage that Snyder has in those conversations. We'll see how that plays out. Another key deadline next week, Thursday, is the the deadline unofficially for this, this legal issue to be resolved between the league and Daniel Snyder. Monday, 4 p.m. Eastern, that's the deadline for signing any franchise tag players to long-term deals. After Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, the franchise tag players for 2023, whether they've signed their tenders or not, they can only do one-year deals, period. I don't understand it. I don't get it. And the problem is, for Saquon Barkley, and this is the guy I'm going to be talking about here, he doesn't get a chance to use his leverage toward the goal he's trying to achieve. He wants a long-term deal. So his leverage is, I'll hold out a training camp. I'll hold out of the regular season. I'll miss games. You won't have me on the field. But by the time we get to that point, there's nothing the Giants can do to give him what he's trying to get. All they can do after Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern is offer Saquon Barkley more than the $10.1 million he's due to make under the franchise tag or offer some other term, like we won't tag you next year. They can do whatever they want on a one-year deal. The rule applies only to duration of contract, and it can be more than the franchise tender. That's never happened. But there have been situations, I think, with Lance Briggs and Albert Hainsworth where terms were added to make it harder to tag the person the following year. So 
This is bubbling up now because Saquon Barkley has to huff and puff, even though it's too early to blow anyone's house down. He's making a promise that he may or may not follow through on. It's hard to get the Giants' attention with that. Hey, Giants, if you don't give me the long-term deal I want by Monday at 4 o'clock Eastern, I'm not showing up for week one of the regular season. Like, it makes no sense. Maybe it's a rule that they need to revisit. It used to be, for franchise tag players, there was a moratorium on negotiating long-term contracts from the middle of April until the middle of July. And after the middle of July, then you could negotiate long-term contracts again. They flipped it at some point in the past 15 years to you can negotiate long-term contracts up until July 15, but after that, it's only a one-year deal. I don't know why that's the rule. Why is that the rule? It shouldn't be the rule. It should at least go up until week one that you can negotiate long-term deals because it puts the player in a tough spot to really get anything in return for the leverage that he plans to exercise. Maybe maybe that's why the league did it. They, they, they want the player to be in a position where he's got to take the best offer in the middle of July because he knows that skipping games isn't going to help him get a better offer later. Now, as to the offer, look, the traditional calculation of the franchise tag amount would suggest fully guaranteed 10.1 million plus fully guaranteed 2024 franchise tag that pushes the two-year total to 22.22 million. That's too low for Saquon Barkley. And the Giants recognize that. We reported yesterday that before Saquon Barkley was franchise tagged, the Giants offered him a deal with 26 million over the first two years, 13 million per year average. He wanted 16 million. They offered it before the franchise tag was applied with an understanding, I'm told, that once the tag was applied, the offer is being removed from the table because what they wanted to do was sign Barkley and then tag Daniel Jones. See, if you tag Daniel Jones, you get another year to see whether or not he can duplicate what he did in 2022 before you make the long-term commitment. But they weren't able to get Saquon Barkley done. They knew what he can do. He's proven. They wanted to get him signed long-term and go year to year or just one year and then long-term deal with Daniel Jones. But when they didn't get Saquon done, they pivoted to Jones. They got his done, tagged Barkley, yanked the offer. And I don't know whether or not that offer is back on the table. And I don't know what Saquon currently wants. And apparently he got CAA involved at some point. He'd been represented by Rock Nation throughout this process. I think back in June, is what I'm told as of just before we started taping this today, that CAA is now in the mix. But you got to get the Giants back to the table. Got to get them to make an offer. At a minimum, it's got to be $22 million fully guaranteed over the first two years. Or it's a bad faith offer. The question is how much more than that can Barkley get? Could have had 26, I'm told, in March. Would the Giants put that 26 back on the table now? Think about negotiation. Once an offer has been put out there, even if you apply terms like if you don't take it by X date, it's going to be gone. Once it's there, if the negotiation continues, unless you're truly walking away and never going to try to negotiate with that person again, once you put that number on the table, it's very hard to take it away and never bring it back. That's the challenge for the Giants. And the challenge for Barkley is, is to get that 26 back on the table and then try to get some more on top of the 26. And, and I saw that Barkley tweeted a couple of cap emojis. That means that it's a lie, what we reported. Well, Saquon, tell us what the, the numbers are then. 
because these numbers are not unreasonable. It's not unreasonable for the Giants to have offered $13 million per year. It's not unreasonable for Barkley to have wanted $16 million per year. That's what Christian McCaffrey gets. And that deal's a few years old. The salary cap has gone up since then. Barkley is one of the most effective running backs in the NFL. I'd want $16 million if I were him. And I could see the Giants offering $13 million. So if there's a lie, Saquon, it's not enough to just call someone a liar. You know the truth. Fill in the gap. Don't just say it's a lie. Tell us what the truth is. Well, why should I do that? Well, if you're going to say I'm lying and you know what the truth is, it's not up or down, white or black, yes or no. If I say yes and you say it's a lie, then I know the answer is no. I say 13 was offered, 16 was wanted. You say it's a lie. Tell me what you wanted. Tell me what they offered. I just think a lot of times guys are so sensitive about being perceived as greedy because the fans line up for the laundry. They line up for the oligarchs. And I understand that. And I've been one of the proponents of pushing back against this knee-jerk reaction that the players are bad for wanting as much as they can get. There's nothing wrong with wanting $16 million. I'm not criticizing him for wanting it. I'm saying he should. So those numbers aren't unreasonable. It would be different if the, the number was $26 million that Barkley wanted. That, that would be something that would not pass the smell test. So 16 is reasonable, 13 is reasonable. And if we're lying, Saquon, tell us the truth. Tell us what the actual numbers are. The other thing, too, that happens in these negotiations, because remember when we reported that Daniel Jones wanted $45 million per year or more, and people were like, what the hell? Fake news, fake news. Yeah, it turns out he wanted $47 million per year. A lot of times, the player doesn't know what the agent is doing in the negotiation. The player has given the agent, here's what I want. It's up to the agent to figure out how to get there. And some players fully informed, fully invested, fully connected to the negotiation. They know exactly what's been offered and when. Other times, players just sit back and wait for the final amount. They got other things to do. They don't want to get caught up in the, the back and forth, blow by blow, start high, move down. They start low, they move up. Just here's what I want. Get their best offer. This is what I want. The negotiation process is aimed at getting the best offer on the tape. So there's a chance that that Barkley may not have known that 16 was asked in an effort to get more than 13. Regardless, regardless, if you think we're lying, go on the record with what the real numbers are. And then we'll all know. I mean, I'm trusting sources that are in a position to know what was offered and what was requested. And if Saquon's got something specific to rebut that with, I'm all ears. It's not enough for me to just have someone say it's a lie when they know the truth and they choose to withhold it. So we'll see. Monday, 4 p.m. Eastern, July 17. That's the moment where either Barkley has a long-term deal or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, he can sign a one-year contract. The Giants can offer more than $10.1 million, or they can offer terms that would promise him they would not franchise tag him again next year. We'll see what happens. Josh Jacobs is in that mix as well. Evan Ingram. Anybody who was franchise tagged, whether they've accepted the tender or not, they have until Monday, 4 p.m. Eastern, to do a long-term deal. Time for today's latest installment of our top 10 coaching list. We're up to number seven. Yesterday was NFC West coach Kyle Shanahan of the San Francisco 49ers. Today, another NFC West coach. And these two are bitter rivals. Kyle Shanahan and not Pete Carroll. Not Pete Carroll, not yet. Sean McVay comes in at number seven. Now, some of you may say that's too low. 
I think it's just right. When you consider everything McVay has done and hasn't done, he was he's he's been to two Super Bowls. That's good. He's won one. That's very good. But they did that whole drunken sailor all in, splash the pot, Teddy KGB, spinning Oreos. They went all in and it worked. They won a Super Bowl with this F them picks mindset that had them collecting veteran players, paying them a ton of money. But that's just one piece of the puzzle. Where are they now? Where are the Rams now? You're only as good as your players. Sean McVay, great offensive mind, but you still need players. Last year, didn't have an offensive line. Last year, Matthew Stafford banged up most of the year, couldn't throw in the offseason program, had issues with the elbow in training camp. Once they started playing games, got banged up because the offensive line wasn't very good. Cam Akers didn't deliver early on, was in the doghouse, and then finally turned it around. Cooper Cup gets injured during the season. Allen Robinson never worked out. It created a, a pretty dramatic fall. One of the most dramatic drops we've seen in a long time from Super Bowl champion to team that was just kind of trying to hold it all together. So where do they go from here? McVay can go higher on the list, depending upon what they do this year. But they wrote that big check. It worked. It was time to pay the piper last year. And now, where do they go? And look, I'm influenced by the fact that there's just been this sense that McVeigh just is holding on so tight. He's burning the candle at both ends and in the middle that he's close to burning out entirely. And look, I know he It's funny. When he was considering not coming back this year and people were reporting it, it was real. He was considering not coming back. So when he decides to come back, Rams fans who were nervous about the possibility he was going to leave acted like he was never considering leaving in the first place, that the reporting that he was considering leaving was wrong because he ultimately decided not to leave, which is just ludicrous. He was thinking about leaving. And I believe if he could have gotten one of the cushy 15 to 20 million a year TV jobs, he would have left. The ship had sailed on Amazon. They weren't going to put him in a three-man booth with Kirk Herbstreet and Al Michaels. That wasn't going to happen. Herbstreet got the job that McVeigh could have had a year earlier that McVeigh thought about taking then. And the way I understand it, McVeigh was stunned by the reaction, both within the team and beyond, when he was considering getting away while the getting was good. So, hey, he's still in the top 10. There's a Super Bowl winning coach who didn't make the top 10 and Mike McCarthy. McVeigh's there. Where he goes depends on what happens this year and beyond. You got to have great players. The problem is they went all in with great veteran players to the detriment of building a nucleus of young players who become the core of your team. And now, without those picks, since 2016, they haven't had a first round pick. Where are the guys that you would have drafted the past three or four years who would become the key players on your team? And they trade Jalen Ramsey. And I, I really, look, people think this is a hot take. I don't think Aaron Donald is going to play for the Rams next year. I think he'll be playing for someone else. I think he gets traded after this season or retires. And I think Matthew Stafford, there's a good chance he won't be back next year either. I saw Mike Lombardi last week saying exactly what we've been hearing the entire offseason. The Rams would have loved to have traded Matthew Stafford before he got another $59 million in fully guaranteed money. And that's another thing, too. I mean, they, they got so swept up in the fact that they won a Super Bowl, they started 
just giving out more money to everybody. Stafford got more money. Cup got more money. Donald got more money. And now this year, lo and behold, they were in the same mode that they were in two years ago when they couldn't wait to get rid of Jared Goff because of the ridiculous contract they gave him in 2019. So to the extent that McVay has a lot of say over personnel, he's got responsibility for the fact that this team isn't as good as it was not that long ago and now has to on the fly retool without the benefit of that class and classes of first round picks that they had willingly given up for established veteran players. Those picks that they had used or had traded and not used would now be guys that could maybe make the team a lot better. So there's no shame in being number seven. Some would think he should be higher. As I said earlier, you could make the case he would be even lower than number seven. I think seven was a good compromise within the, the PFT writer community. I would have put McVeigh lower than seven. I was convinced to put him higher than where I would have put him. So number seven is where McVeigh comes in. We'll do number six tomorrow. Before we do anything by way of wrapping up today, I'll take a look at some of the questions that we have. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Got to find the tweet. Looking for the tweet. Searching for the tweet. Where is the tweet? Here we go. All right, let's see what we got. I have not looked at these. PFT PM Posse, with all the injuries the Titans have had in recent years, record numbers of them, as was pointed out yesterday, who should face scrutiny for the employment or retention of the training staff unless it's just been really, really, really bad luck? Look, that's one of the things that I've said as it relates to other teams. When there is a rash of injuries, when you can't keep guys healthy, at some point, it's not just bad luck. At some point, it is your nutrition, your training, your flexibility, all the things you're doing to get guys healthy, keep them healthy, and allow them to play week in and week out. There's some deeper flaw that needs to be examined. And I kind of thought of that yesterday or the day before when we were talking about Mike Vrabel's abilities that have helped this team be better than the sum of the parts would suggest. Maybe that is one of the issues that needs to be addressed within the Titans organization. I've said it about the Chargers for years. I've been other teams in the past where I said, they just have too many injuries. And it, it, it's not just stuff happens. At some point, it's something more than that. PFT PM Posse. Shouldn't Daniel Snyder use uh, or take what he can get on future legal things? Because if he doesn't, they'll formally vote him out, embarrassing him even more. I but they don't want to vote him out because then that creates a separate legal mess. They don't want it to be something that is ugly and messy and expensive. That's one of the reasons why I think they didn't move against him. They gave him every chance to sell and he went along with selling because he didn't want to suffer the indignity of being kicked out, even though he would have fought kicking and screaming. It would just be a huge mess. It's better for everyone if he goes away voluntarily. They've got to work out these legal issues or they are going to have a potential mess on their hands. Huh. 
Hunter Wallace, do you think Snyder will force Josh Harris to add an addendum to the sale that says he can't publicly comment about the scandal with the commanders? And is that something that can be added to the sale? Well, I think anything that was going to be in place between Snyder and Harris is already in place. Their deal is their deal. The things that can or can't be said about prior ownership, my guess is Snyder wants something in there to protect him. And Harris has agreed to whatever he's had to agree to to be ordered to, uh, to be able to buy the team. But it's probably not something they're going to advertise to the world as one of the terms. The commanders are going to be focused, I think, on the future, the future, the future. That's their way of never talking about it. What's the benefit in talking about it? What's the point? Unless after a few years, people become exasperated with Josh Harris and he says, well, it's not my fault. I inherited a crap team from a crap owner. Get the phone call. I need to wrap this up soon. I got a couple other things I got to do. Here we go. Here we go. Uh, what do we have? I'm just scrolling through here, looking for something good, looking for something we haven't talked about recently. Tyler Z, why is Buffalo building a brand new roofless stadium? Wouldn't the idea be to have future Super Bowls at your new multi-billion dollar stadium? I don't know that they have the hotel space and the infrastructure in Buffalo to have Super Bowls, and they want the home field advantage. You know, Minnesota, they gave up the home field advantage in 1980 with the Metrodome. If you're in the elements like that, I think you want to take full advantage of the wind and the snow and the cold and the things that allow you to win regular season home games. And if you can get home field advantage in the postseason, allow you to get to the Super Bowl and then lose it like the Vikings did four times in the 70s. All right, looking for others. I I, I, I really do need to go. I got some other things I got to do. Uh, keeping it short today. Keeping to the half hour that I intended to stick with all week long, actually all month long. I wanted to do short PFTPMs. Once I get to talking and once I see that there are good questions and I start answering them, the next thing you know, 30 becomes 40, becomes 50, becomes an hour. But before I continue to talk my way into an hour, I'm going to say thank you for some of your time. Here's hoping we can finish the week strong, five for five. I'm going to do my best to resist the temptation to drink more than I should tonight even though it kind of is the last real night at the beach. I mean, Friday night, I got to go easy because I got to drive home on Saturday. So to be determined, to be continued, or maybe not, we'll see. Thanks, as always, for a little bit of your time. Check us out around the clock at profootballtalk.com, and hopefully we'll see you back here again tomorrow. longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards the longest field goal ever missed also 76 yards why bring this up because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal it probably won't go well 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.